And you have been given a future that is untouchable by anybody. Is that a great thing? You are serving a God who never changes. That's a great thing. In fact, that's the only thing in your entire life that doesn't change is the God we serve. We're going to be talking about him today. I was sitting, we were about ready to take the, I think, the fruit of the vine. I looked over and, and I saw somebody holding Tristan's fiance's hand that didn't look like Tristan, and I got really mad. I got to thinking, he's one of our college students, and did you shave? Is that the deal? Totally shaved his beard off. He looks like he's about 14 and going to get married here pretty soon. And I got so mad, I thought, she ditched him for somebody else, and is that close already? And, and, I, and I looked at Melissa, and I said, what? And she said, he does look younger. He just shaved. I thought, oh, okay. So life is restored again. That's, that's what happens to me in the middle of church, that kind of stuff. Just how I look around, I start seeing people, and they look different and funny and weird and and it just messes me up for the whole worship service. We are in Exodus 32. If you'll be making your way there, very well read just a moment ago, and I appreciate it. Let's sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I, I'm thinking of a couple of things I hope you walk away with today. One, one is I hope that you have this desire to draw close to your God, closer than you ever had before because you understand him a little better. And you know something that he's given you that is just beyond belief. It's just beyond something that uh, is so intensely amazing. And he hands it to you. And we have access to it. And so often we fail to take advantage. The most well-known story about this, the most well-known incident, took place in the life of a king named Hezekiah in the Old Testament. Hezekiah was approached by Isaiah the prophet. God told him to go tell him, and he goes and he faces Hezekiah and says, Hezekiah, the sickness you have, you're not going to recover. You are going to die, so get your, your house and your affairs in order. Isaiah then leaves to let him do whatever you would do when you got a message like that. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed and he wept and he asked God, I've been trying to do right all my life. I've tried to live a righteous life. And he just, and I, we're not told the rest of it, but he begged God. Before Isaiah got past uh, the yard, the front yard of the palace, God says, I want you to go back. So Isaiah goes back and he tells him, I heard your prayer. I saw your tears and I'm giving you 15 more years of life. That's an amazing thing. And people from that story go, look at that. Prayer is so powerful, it can change God's mind. And then I got to thinking, okay, that's great, but we serve a God who doesn't change. It says this in Scripture several times, and on the screen you'll see a, a few of these verses. I, the Lord, do not change, Malachi says. In Numbers, God says, I'm not like people. I don't change my mind casually. You can know and take to the bank every word I say. It says that in a few other places as well. How do you square the idea that God can change his mind with a God who doesn't change? 
that's a little confusing thing and has a lot to do with our prayer life and whether we'll really take him seriously or not. And I think our text today, Exodus chapter 32, we're going to do our Sunday night on Sunday morning instead just because I wanted to. And here's what God's doing in Exodus chapter 32. He's looked at these people. He has, because of his promise made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he has this great plan to bring out of Abraham and Sarah two people, this whole nation of people, and he's going to give them all this land, and he's going to bless the whole world through them. But it kind of went dormant for about 400 years, and God told Abraham in Genesis 15 it was going to do this. He swore on oath he'd keep his promise, and then he said, but for 400 years they're going to be down in Egypt, and I'm going to increase the population, and I'm going to bring them out and give them the land. And so this amazing promise of God, forecast 500 years before, is what motivates him to come to Moses in a burning bush and say, it's time, it's time for the promise to be awakened, like you know, the force awakens kind of thing. And so he says, I want you, Moses, to take this to the people. I want you to paint them a picture of the promise I made so long ago that maybe they've gotten, they've forgotten, and I want you to excite their imaginations, and I want you to get them on my side, and we're going to lead them out of here, and we're going to lead them to the promised land. And he does all that. He's got this promise of God in his head. He knows what God's going to do, and they start on this journey, but then... They get to Mount Sinai, they stay there a year, and Moses goes up in the mountain for 40 days, and the people go crazy. There's a hiccup in the plan as God's people ditch God, and they worship a golden calf instead. And God is absolutely furious, rightly so. And he says to Moses, you know what they're doing down there? They've traded me in on a different model. They've traded me in for something different. I just I'll tell you what, Moses, you go down and see it, and then I, you back up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fry them all, and we'll start all over with you. That's God. That's God in his anger over their breaking of covenant. And he's going to destroy them and start all over with Moses. And Moses has the audacity. I love this. Listen, he gained this over years and years of relationship with God. Years and years of little conversations where he and God got together and talked about little stuff and he's caught this relationship with God and he knows God enough that God gives him the right to boldly come before him and argue with him. I don't know if you have such a relationship with God that you can argue with him, but I want every Valley View member to have a relationship with God that is such that you can argue with him. You can go into his presence and with such courage and such boldness make your case. And Moses does. Moses says, first of all, remember the history. I want you to know the history. God, you remember? This, is, this goes back for hundreds of years for you. Now, for these people right here, they're new. They're babies in the faith. But they are the great, 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 great grandchildren of the people that you first made the promise to. I want you to remember the history. And don't let a temporary, contemporary, recent little hiccup keep you from keeping faith to the history. Second, what will the Egyptians and the rest of the world say. Now that doesn't sound that compelling to me, but Moses was paying attention. When he did those plagues that just destroyed Egypt, 
it wasn't just to win the favor of his own people. It was to convince the Egyptians who God was and to convince the rest of the world what kind of God we serve. God, in the original promise to Abraham, was not just going to bless this little Jewish nation. God said, through you, I want to bless the whole world. But you know what? It's going to sound really bad when the Egyptians say, well, he defeated us, took these people out in the middle of the wilderness and then fried them on the plains. Be a bad reputation for God. And God uh, listens to that. God cares about his image in the world because he's trying to woo the rest of the world to himself. You remember that as you wear his name this week. And third argument he makes is what about that promise you made? You made it to Abraham. You didn't make it to me. You made it to Abraham. Now God could have done this plan B and it wouldn't have changed his character, but Moses knows the original plan was to keep it through Abraham. And so he argues, you've got to keep your promise. I've got to tell you, this is a great pattern. Come to Exodus 32 if you ever need to pour out your heart to God because you want to convince him of something you really, really want from the purpose of God. I remember one time trying to change God's mind. And I did this exact thing. Now, I don't have a closeness like Moses has but God and I, have done, we've done some arguments and gone rounds before, and there's a place in our backyard that has this one stump that stands up, and in the morning, about 9 o'clock in the morning, there's one stretch of place through the leaves and the trees where the sun shines down like a spotlight on that one stump. And one of those mornings when it was those calls that went around that said, my, it's in real trouble, you may remember this a year or so ago, I thought, I've I got to take this Moses prayer seriously. I don't know if God's decided a course of action yet, but nothing's been set yet. We know that there's a real urgency right now. So I went on that stump, and I stood up on that stump, and the spotlight was shining on me, and I did these three things. And I said, God, you know the Leith history. This family's been faithful to you, and I'm asking you to be faithful to them. And I remember saying to him the second one. I remember saying to him, you know what's going to happen for the next hundred years? Everyone who's associated with this boy as he grows is going to brag about you and talk about you and how you intervened in his life and spared his life. We're going to talk about you, and you're going to have a reputation in the world because of this. And number three, your purpose is to have a bunch of witnesses in the world. How is your purpose going to be accomplished if this voice is silenced so early? That's the only way I knew how to do that, to practice this special prayer. You ever have a chance, you ever have an opportunity, you ever have, I hope you don't, but if you ever have this circumstance where you really need to appeal to God, I want you to think about Exodus chapter 32, where Moses pulls out all the stops and he takes everything he knows about God and he throws it at him to convince him not to do this thing. You have a right to enter the presence of God and try to wrestle with him. Wrestle, church, when you need to wrestle. And what does God do? I love the way Gary Buck said it. The way he read it. I will not do what I said I would do. He won't. How can the man who Numbers calls the meekest man on all the earth, how did he come up with the boldness to stand before and in the presence of God and make an argument in a case like this? He spoke to God face to face, God said. And God responded to his appeals and changed his plan. Now I'm going to say this. 
The fact that God changes his plan doesn't change God's character. It does say he repents, and there are several places in Scripture that talks about the repentance of God. And it doesn't mean that God somehow became a better being because of a change. He's perfect already. The changing that God does is a change in his posture toward you. It's sort of like a teacher standing before a classroom and there's some student that's already stolen something from off the teacher's desk. And that teacher knows it and realizes it and says to the class, for the next two weeks, no one in this class is going to go to recess at all after lunch. Nobody. You're going to come in here and sit in your, in your, in your desk and have some extra homework because somebody stole something off my desk. And, and everybody just silently sits there. An hour later, a meek little boy comes up there and he lays what he stole on her desk. You know what that teacher does? That teacher, in order to be fair, must now change the announcement. Doesn't change her. She's still being fair. She's still being right. But now there's new information that's come to light. There's a, a new detail in the story that causes her now, if she's going to be fair, she's going to announce to the class, there's going to be one person staying in here for the recess. The rest of you can go. And it seems like, well, what do you just changed your mind? You just changed. She didn't change. She stayed the same fair person. But she changed her actions based on a new detail in the circumstance. And God does that. And our God, in order to guard utmost of human integrity and dignity, says, I will change my actions based on how you change in any given circumstance. When you change something, God responds by changing as well. But it's not changing his character. It's just changing his action or his plan at that moment. God does this. And then he says, I want you to pray. And we have the absolute assurance that when God asks us to pray, it's because he's giving us a chance to help him shape the future. He is inviting us to influence him as he decides what's going to happen in the future. And if you don't think it's that vaulty, you're not, you're, you're not reading Scripture right. And I, I would assume that if you don't think it's that vaulty and high, that's why you don't bother with prayer. It is that significant. He invites you to help him shape the future. And he does this with prayer, and he hands it to you, and he gives you a voice. Access to his very throne room where he plans what he's going to do. Now, I'm going to do something here that is audacious and ridiculous. But I, and if I die by a strike of lightning, you'll know that I crossed a line. Okay, and if that happens in here, just go on and sing the closing song and you all go home and, and go to lunch or whatever. It's, it's uh, uh, Anna Ray's birthday today, and she said she's brought a sandwich because I go too long and she wants to get to her, her, her birthday meal. But anyway, if I fry, that's just the way it goes. Here's what I think happens. You make a request in prayer. You, you just say, this is something, God, I want to see. We're not talking about like cars and stuff. We're talking about something really important to you. You pray something. You make a request. If your request, the specific thing that you'd like to see that you ask God for, if you ask it and it will not fit into his purpose, and his purpose is to make you more like Jesus, if, his, if your request does not fit his purpose he will tell you no how many have ever been told no in prayer 
Really? There's some of you that haven't? You haven't prayed enough. He loves you enough to tell you no. We live in an age where nobody tells you no, but listen, you serve a God who loves you enough and has a purpose so important, he will tell you no if your request carries you away from it rather than closer to it. He loves you enough to tell you no. Now there's a couple of examples of this, isn't there? You've got Jesus, the sinless Son of God, who came and did everything God asked him to perfectly. And he's in the garden. There he's at the line of scrimmage where he's about to cross the line into the the act that secures our atonement. And he's standing there and he, he suddenly backs up into a huddle three times and prays to God, God, is there any other way? Let this cup pass from me. And do you know what God tells his son? Say it together with me. No. Not just no. No, no, no. I'm going to answer why he told him no. He was the only way for us to be free of our sin. And if there's no other way for his purpose to be met, he has to tell Jesus no. But his answer is never just no, it's no but. And he sends angels to minister to Jesus in that moment in some powerful way. There was another example when the greatest apostle... Our apostle, we're Gentiles, right? Gentile apostle. The apostle Paul was given this thorn in the flesh by Satan, he says. The devil wanted to trip Paul up and limited him in some physical way. He put something in his life that limited his ability to move, ability to do ministry, and, 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 God, and he goes before, Paul goes before God, just like Moses did. And he had some great arguments. He says to God, God, I could do so much more. I could go so much further and see so many more people and make so much more impact for you if you'll just take this thing out. God said, no, 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 three times. But he also tells him why. By leaving it in there, I get more glory. And Paul says, well then, leave it in there, right? And uh, another thing, Paul, by leaving it in there, all the amazing resume you've got that would go to your head and make you arrogant, this keeps you humble. So I tell you what, even though Satan put it there, I'm leaving it there for my purpose. And Paul backs up, and he says at the end of that, he says, fine, then use my weaknesses and make me weak everywhere. I love this. Just make me weak then. Because he knew why the no is. I'm going to tell you this. If God has told you no before, it's because he loves you enough to know that his purpose is more important. And when you close out your prayer, and don't just make this, don't just make this stereotypical. Make this heartfelt. Not my will, but yours. Make sure you say that. Not every time, maybe, but often. Because you would rather have his will be done than to him give you something that takes you away from him. On the other side, God has a purpose for you. And you know what? There's a circumstance that comes up in your life, and he's like, my purpose can be fulfilled in this circumstance five or six different ways. I really don't care. It's going to be met in this circumstance one of five or six ways. So let's see, which do I do? And God decides this course of action. And then, then all of a sudden he hears from you. Where you say to God, in this circumstance, I'd really like this. And he's like, well, that's one of the five or six options that can fit there. So I would love to give this to you. 
In the book of James, James says to the people, you know, there's a lot of things you don't have because you don't... Finish that, would you? There's a lot of things you don't have because you don't ask. There's some things God is more than happy to give you, but until you ask, He'll just go with whatever. And there's some things you can ask for that you will definitely get. You'll always get forgiveness if you repent. You will always get wisdom when you ask, James says. You will always get the Holy Spirit, Luke says, when you ask him for it. There's so many things in life that God will automatically give you, but he only does if you ask. And so few of us do, and we pass up opportunities to experience great graces because we simply do not ask. Go into his presence boldly. Ask him for stuff all the time. It's not the only reason for prayer. Most of Moses' prayer time had nothing to do with asking for stuff. It had to do with, who are you? It had to do with, this is a struggle I have, what do I do? It had to do with a lot of things. And if you are a person who only goes with requests, you're missing out on some great things. Just the relationship that you and God put together as you talk is incredibly important. That's so strange, but here's the thing. God gives you the power to change his actions. One of those things, we talk about this being repenting, the language of repenting, and here's what the word means. From human beings, it means we're having a change of allegiance. We're making an about face. For God, it means there's something in the circumstance that changed, and so God is going to change. Every circumstance I can think of, save a, there's one, but I don't know how to categorize it. Every circumstance where God said to repent, it's because of one of two things. One is somebody prayed. Somebody simply asked. You've got the example of Moses right here. You've got the example of Abraham when God says, I'm going to destroy the people of Sodom. And Abraham says, but, but, but God, let's, you know, I, I know this is audacious, but if you can find 50, if you can find 40, 30. And God assents. God does go ahead and go with Abraham even though he can't find 10. You have other occasions like this. I want to show you one in the screen. I'm going to read it from my Bible where I can actually read it. Amos chapter 7. This is what the Lord God showed me, Amos said. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And when they had finished eating the grass, I said, in other words, God was going to send locusts to punish the people. Oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And the Lord relented, all because Amos asked him to. And then God goes on, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire that would devour the great deep and was eating up the land. And I said, oh Lord, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. And the Lord relented. I want you to know when you speak to God, he hears and he considers everything that you say. And prayer is one of those tools that God gives us to change the future and what he decides. Second, a change in human behavior. This would be either rebellion or repentance. Jeremiah chapter 18, God says to Jeremiah, I want you to go and visit the potter's house. 
And he goes and he sees how the potter handles the clay, beginning verse 5. And as he showed him this, and he saw how the potter and the clay interacted and related to each other, the Lord God then came to Jeremiah, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time, listen to this carefully, if at any time concerning a nation I declare, concerning a nation or kingdom, that I will pluck up, or break down and destroy it. So God says, I'm going to destroy this nation. And if that nation concerning which I've spoken then turns from its evil, I will relent. God announces his own repentance. If I say to this nation, you're being wicked and evil and I'm going to destroy you, and then they change, I'm going to change the, my plans for them. This sounds an awful lot like what Jonah did. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days later, they're still there. They repented. But notice the rest of it. This is important too. Verse 9, And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant it, then it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice. I will change the good that I intended to do to it. It goes both ways. God is never so set that our behavior won't change how he treats us. We serve a God who's the only thing in your life who does not ever change. We sing that song, Hold to God's Unchanging Hand. It's a great song. He is predictable. He is always the same. He is not like a box of chocolates. He's not. In a time where people honor the new and the fast changing i'm not sure people are impressed with an unchanging god but as a christian i got to tell you i find it comforting i find it wonderful to know that we can know exactly what we'll get from god when we turn to him no matter what happens he makes himself known and we determine what he's going to do based on what we do and he gives us prayer and he gives us the full integrity of our behavior and responds to it can I tell you, if you are a person who's never believed and been baptized, you won't be saved. I know that because God says this. I also know that a person can be in that spot who's never believed and been baptized, who, who doesn't know God, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and, and has never obeyed the gospel. He can be that way one minute. Five minutes later, God can completely change his attitude and his plans for this person based on their belief. They come to a knowledge of the truth, and the moment you do, God changes. It's like he's looking at you saying, give me a reason, give me a reason. I'll change based on you. You could have walked in this room this morning with a stance toward God that's been set for life and you think, I'll never change my mind. I'll come in here in order to please friends or just to come in here and like the music or whatever, the singing or whatever, but I'm never going to change my attitude. I'm not going to respond to him. And in the course of a few minutes, you can change your heart, change your mind, and completely change your future and everything God thinks of you just by how you respond to him in a few minutes. You can do that. That's the amazing nature of our God. He doesn't change. He's always predictable, which means you can know what you're getting when you come to him. I know this. If you're right with God, he walks with you through your life. He listens to your every prayer. He adores your worship, and then he prepares a place for you, and when you die, you go and live with him for eternity. 
That's what I know because he's told us. And nothing can change that except if you choose to. On the other hand, those people who have made up their decision, they don't want to mess with God at all, and they want him to leave them alone, he will for the rest of your eternity leave you alone in a place that's as godless and terrible as can imagine. But I also know that he wants everybody to come to knowledge of truth and be saved, and he wants everybody to come into his safety of care. He wants us to all come to him. And the moment you make a move, he completely does a 180, and accepts you and saves you and keeps you to himself. Is that true, church? Is that absolutely true? Will that be true? You know, things change between the 60s and the 70s. Have you noticed that? America's changed since 60s and 70s and 80s and now. But you know what hasn't changed? The gospel message hasn't changed one bit. And I want to tell you this. You will never be ashamed of it. You'll never, have to, you'll never have to go, oops, made a mistake about that. You'll never have to because until the Lord comes back, that's the truth that saves. We serve a God who doesn't change. And because of that, I can say this emphatically and never have to apologize, never have to issue an update, never have, to, never have to update this in any way, I can tell you this, God loves you, wants you to be saved, and if you will respond to him, he will respond to you, and you'll never be separated from him again. That's available right now. It will always be available, always, because our God doesn't ever change. But if you need to, we stand ready to receive you right now as we stand and as we sing. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would your evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood fire in the blood would you live daily his praises to sing fire in the blood there is fire fire wonder working fire in the blood of the lamb there is fire fire wonder power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Thank you for that fine lesson, Spencer. Um,
This last song we're going to sing, uh, if you notice, I, there's a trend. I like to pick songs that are about heaven or make us think about heaven. This one in particular, um, some of you remember, uh, Mitchell, you led it at my dad's funeral. And uh, it meant a lot to me. And we learned it in about 2010, maybe, 2011. And we're going to sing the, the same version that we learned back then. We'll just sing it through twice. But uh, it was something, as my dad was going through pancreatic cancer, we thought about what's he thinking about heaven that's down the road waiting for him. And think about this yourself. Uh, if you look for and you long for heaven, I know in fifth and sixth grade class, Max, we talked about that, how people ought to be looking forward to heaven someday, right? All of you remember that. Okay. So let's sing this through twice, and then we'll have our shepherd's prayer. Thanks again, Spencer. There's a stirring deep within me. Could it be my time has come? When I see my gracious Savior face to face when all is done, is that his voice I am hearing? Come away, my precious one. Is he calling me? Is he Let's pray together. Father, as we come to the close of this service, we pray that our efforts to worship you have been received with joy from you, that you know our hearts are dedicated to you, and that our lives are given in a way that we pray that will be effective in bringing people to your kingdom. Father, we pray that you will always hear us when we call you, that you will receive our requests, and that 
We thank you for sometimes you do change, and we thank you for that, Father. We pray, Father, today that you will be with the Lambersons as they grieve the death of Tammy and other losses that they have had. Pray that you'd be with the family of Braylon, who lives in Brooklyn, that her mother, who is in the hospital, might be cured enough that she might attend the funeral of her daughter killed in that accident. Father, we pray that you'd be with the friends and concerns of Jerry and Susan Hill, those of Sam's Club and Tammy DeMint and others. And now, Father, we pray that you'll dismiss us in your care and keeping with the desire that